Hi, and welcome to another episode of CISO Talk. My name is Mitch Ashley. I'm CTO with TechStrong Group and also principal with TechStrong Research. My uh, partner in crime, Matt Newfield, is off today. I think he got a call on the bat phone that he had to take, so he is un otherwise occupied. So uh, let's get to our topic today. I think it's a great time to be talking about it because we're all living it in so many ways. And the topic is... Uh, how the changing nature, changing role of the CISO. I mean, I, I, a lot of jobs have changed in, in recent history, but I can't think of any that's changing more than a CISO's job. Well, let me first introduce our esteemed panel of guests, repeat guests. Glad to have you both back. Uh, appearing again uh, in, uh, let's see, what position are you playing? Are you playing center or guard this this game here, Mike Rothman? With security, <laughs> I can't talk. Goalie. The goalie. fat guy's always the goalie, so that's that's me. <laughs> you just like all the equipment. That's why you like goalie. <laughs> I like Tell the big gloves. Introduce yourself <laughs> for the uh, few well, people that might Mitch, not know you. Anthony, nice to see you guys. I'm Mike Rothman. I'm president of Securosis, a security-centric research firm, and I've been doing this for way longer than I care to admit. But this is actually a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and I'll start telling stories and stuff. But um, it, it's really nice to, to see everybody coming around about, you know, 10 years after I started, you know, kind of making this pitch. So this will be a great conversation. Very cool. <laughs> uh, we're we're, we're trying course, to catch up. <laughs> Anthony, of course, Anthony Johnson with Delver. It's great to be talking with you. Introduce yourself, Anthony. Anthony Johnson, uh, so managing partner, founder at Delve Risk. Um, we're a market research organization. Um, formerly, I was a CISO at a number of organizations like uh, JP Morgan, Fannie Mae, uh, GE, et cetera. Um, but love being in the community and, and, and just kind of engaging in these things. And uh, I'm pumped about the chat today. Thanks, both of you. It's always great to be uh, talking with you, whether on camera or not. <laughs> so, you know, there's so many avenues we could go down here and so many dimensions of how just security in general has changed as a job and as part of the organization. Uh, I guess maybe to start it out with, it, it seems to me one of the biggest is that everything involves security because everything is digital. I mean, we've gone all digital for all experiences. We still do in-person things, but you know, as we moved everything to a digital experience user, whether it's partners or customers or employees or whatever it is. So suddenly, you know, everything is about security. And now it's a boardroom discussion, not just in the back room of the network organization, like maybe when you and I started, Mike. Uh, <laughs> way back Anthony's when I, a young guy. So he, he is. He, he I just hard. look, I mean, I got the gray. So I, I just look young. I just got good skin. <laughs> You got to understand, you're with like some two two certifiable old guys here. So well, you, you, know, you just, you you to, just to figured out the technique. When when Mike or I don't know the answer, we just kind of give the yeah, old right. beard, oh. chin struck. So the old guy stuff. <laughs> <Love Anyway>. it. <laughs> Jump in, Anthony. <laughs> so talk, uh, talking about how things have changed for the CISO and what's driving it. Yeah, so um, I, I think what's really interesting in, in, um, is that when you when you look at where a lot of the security leaders started in their career, they started off in that the back server managing infrastructure kit, and it was, hey, we're going to deliver the goods, we're going to make this thing work, um, even if they weren't involved in the developer side, right? They were just they were they were trying to make things run, but nobody actually told them told us that in 20, 30 years, this is going to be the most important function to make the world operate, right? Like. I, I think we would have kind of all laughed and like, oh, the internet, like the internet's a cool thing, but like, is it really going to be the most 
groundbreaking technological innovation ever, right? Because um, that's a huge, huge statement. And then to say, and you person are responsible to protect that. That's actually really terrifying. And so I think you found security leaders who went from being this geek to making things work to now saying, okay, now I got to protect and connect the entirety, entire lifeblood of my company, my community, my, my nation. Um, and it's a, it's a big set of shoes to fill. Um, and it's been constantly changing. It, it sure is. And, and, you know, I guess I would put this into the category of things that we needed to be careful about when we wished for them. Right. Because again, all being, you know, kind of experienced guys doing this for 20, 25 years at this point, there was a time, and I know it's hard for everybody to remember, but there was a time when, you know, people would be like, security, what's that? Right. And, and why am I paying for that again? And, and, and what is this, you know, little token I have to use to get into my remote access here and, and all of those things from the old days. And, and we would constantly be whinging when we would, you know, get together and, and drink some beers, maybe a lot of beers, maybe even stuff harder than that uh, on that front to, to, you know, kind of ease our pain because nobody cared. Right. And we couldn't get any funding. And it was very difficult to do the job because it was marginal. We were marginalized from that perspective. And, and what we have now is not that problem, right? What we have now is possibly overexposure, but really, and, and I think where we need to get to in the discussion and really in the skill set, and Anthony, that's an important point that you made that a lot of kind of the CISOs that initially took that role ended up looking like technical people that drew the short straw, right? They were either around for too long, they they didn't figure out how to say no, or they didn't realize what a crap job it was going to be, but they ceased to be technical people at that point, and they didn't realize they were playing a different game, right? And, and, and you, you know, that's kind of the thing. When, and, you know, the, the thing I dangled out there like before, right, I've been talking about this for 10 years, is I actually wrote a book called the pragmatic CSO in 2007. And one of the things that I talked about there was the fact that you're not a security professional, you're a financial professional, right? You were JP Morgan, right? So financial professional that happens to do security. And what I was trying to get across there is that it's about the business and you're playing a different game. And if you don't understand that it's about either enabling or, or managing risk on the part of the business, again, you're, you're just a keyboard jockey, right? And there's really no role for that at this, at the senior level. I think what's also really, you know, something to, to think back on, like we can kind of look back and, and, and kind of chuckle about it. But if you remember the I love you worm, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we, like back then when it hit, it was like, oh, man, this sucks. But I remember conversations with people being like, if they wanted to be malicious, this could have really sucked. Like this could have been really bad. And now could you imagine the, you know, the, the if something like that were to truly pr proliferate, it's it would be rampant destruction um, just across uh, across the world. And and uh, things that we, we we look at like, well, thank God the, the hackers weren't mean. Well, they're mean now, right? Like they, they're, they're, they're keen to make money. Um, and we're, we, we're trying to figure out, you know, how we operate in this world um, where in one jurisdiction, this is totally illegal. And another jurisdiction, the government quasi condones it because they're hitting U.S. companies and or maybe, maybe funding it, <laughs> right? Or even funding it, and we know their agents 
moonlighting. So it's a it's a totally different game from where we've gone from 20 years ago to let me see if this works to all right, I think I can make about $700 billion this year, whatever it is, right? Well, you know what things have changed when we look fondly back at the I love you virus and the code <laughs> yeah. red. So, my, how things have changed when you know, our email server going, you know, being overloaded was the issue. Yeah, Both of you have hit, you know, nailed it on the head, the issue of the CISO has to think and talk business, not just tech technical jargon, right? It's not just protocols and firewalls and all, you know, blocking and all that good kind of stuff. But it really is a role where you're at the at the center point of both what do we need to do and how much do we need to do of it, and also what do we do when something happens because it will happen and you know bad things happen to good CISOs right it it happens so um, I'm curious Anthony from your perspective I mean you you've lived this in that transition from the technical world to now you got to deal with, you know, as a business person, what, what's the biggest gap that you saw in your own experience that you had to quickly look for mentors or other ways to kind of fill? Yeah. So um, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, going to, to, to found an organization and, you know, software company, um, I quickly aligned to the whole Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And really all of a sudden in the business context, revenue is food, Right. And security is great, but if you're starving, it's a it's a nice it's a nice to have. Um, and, and and I've caught in flack for saying this in the past, but like there are things that you know you kind of go up that like there are, there are first world problems. I don't want to say security is a first world problem, but like there's a lot of other problems that businesses will suffer if they if they fail to drive revenue, customer retention, etc. And security is, is going to be the last thing on the mind of the board when you know they can't make payroll. Right. Mm -hmm. But the security leader needs to know how they inf um, influence and impact that food collection, that revenue collection. What can they do to add value to it? Um, or what can they, what are they doing that actually slows that down? Because you can you constrict the processes too much. And all of a sudden you have security choking a business. Um, and that's where I think you see a lot of security leaders running into, you know, loggerheads with you know, their leadership teams um, in, in, you know, in, in a lot of cases. Yeah, let, let, let's talk a little bit about empowerment, because I think mm -hmm. that's actually a, a very critical aspect to being successful as a senior security professional moving forward. And, and the first epiphany to understand is that you're not empowered to do anything, right? The, the fact is, or not, that's probably not exactly true, but you're not empowered to do a lot, right? So a big part of the evolution from technical professional to manager slash leader is a general concept. Let's just call it persuasion, right? Because when you're not empowered to do anything, you have to be really good at persuading other senior folks in the organization to get things done. And by the way, in the old days, we CISOs had empires, right? They had security operations. I guess I probably shouldn't say the old days, right? Because some folks still have security operations for you know on-prem things and they've got groups of responders and all that. So you, you do have some people, but ultimately you're gonna say, we've got to make changes in these systems and the folks that run the systems are gonna go, get the hell out of here, right? And that's being nice. And, and, you know, we talked about the attackers not being nice. When you start to tell some, you know, business leader that you've got to take some of their stuff offline because of, you know, a potential risk, man, they're going to be probably a little bit less nice, 
right? Yeah. And it's even compounding from that standpoint because as we continue to move towards DevOps, right, and we continue to distribute our data all over the place, it is those folks. I mean, we can joke and say, oh, DevSecOps, and that's a load of crap, right? Because you've got the developers, you got the ops folks, the security folks, maybe at the front end of the process can have a say. Maybe if, you know, kind of the brown stuff hits the fan, they get involved from that standpoint. But for the most part, not so much, right? So what we have to do to evolve as leaders, right, as security leaders, is to really start to understand how are we going to persuade these folks to do the right thing from a security perspective um, while continuing to achieve what they have to on the business, which again leads back to the second point, which is if you don't understand your business, it's really hard to persuade somebody why being secure is in the best interest of their business, right? So it gets back to this idea that you have to be a professional in your business that happens to practice security. You have to be very effective from a persuasion standpoint because these folks don't want to do what's in their best interest from a security perspective. And we're not empowered to do anything until we are. And when we are, that is a very bad day, right? That means something has gotten out of the out of the cage, right? Some bad stuff is happening. And now we're trying to figure out, you know, kind of what is where. And typically Eastern Europe or South America is, you know, kind of the answer to that question, which again, very, very bad days. So Mike, let me let me challenge you on that. I know Anthony, you're gonna jump in. So I'll let you jump in, in a minute too. I want to challenge you on that from this this aspect. One of the things that actually works in our favor, ironically, is every business executive knows or at least heard of ransomware and they know they don't want to have that, right? And the board is now looking at the CISO to say, we're okay, right? Do you need more? And not giving you unlimited budget, but I don't want you coming back and say, well, I would if I would have just spent this extra, we would have had that ransomware. My point being, it is coming to us as in, I don't want to have this problem. Yeah. You need to do what you need to do. Um, I'm not saying you're wrong. You're right. But but that that's changed. So that advocacy, it doesn't have to be FUD anymore. It can be, okay, well, it, then this it, is the right not, thing to do. It's not, Mitch. But what I found is that talk is cheap. And, and when you sit with any senior executive, board member, CIO, oh, security, oh, security, and then when it comes time to actually make the fundamental changes that are required to truly be secure, mm, a little bit less interest on that front, right? Uh, so if I can write a check and make the problem go away, that's great. If I, you know, and hey, what does that check need to be, right? We, but our problem isn't funding anymore, right? Our problem is skills, but ultimately our problem is change and transformation mm -hmm. because doing security consistently, right? Having an organization that is security aware is hard, right? It's hard. I, I think I'd, I'd like to throw out this this piece here, right? Like um, most security leaders, I think, struggle with being able to articulate how an EDR gets the business from 10% wallet share to 12% wallet share, right? Most security leaders, actually, if you ask them like, hey, how does your company make money? I remember having this conversation with a, a CISO last year, um, who's in financial services. I was like, hey, coaching this, this, this guy. I'm like, how does your bank make money? And he's like, oh, deposits. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? And he actually didn't know where or how the bank made money. And when, when you are talking to somebody as a business leader, 
right? Who's been doing this for 20, 30 years. And someone's like, hey, you got to do this. It's going to be really, really important. And it's going to save us a, a big risk. And I'm like, okay, how? You know when they're BSing and don't know what they're actually trying to advocate for. And so those security leaders who actually meaningfully understand the business, not just we take deposits, but you know, we actually make money by doing custody. We make money by doing this. We may like, we, there's all these aspects and, and you have a different risk posture for different lines of, or sub segments of the business. Then you're going to be able to have a more meaningful conversation with those business leaders. Be like, man, you get it. Okay. What do I actually need to do to make sure that custody um, and asset management is going to be going to be good? Because that's very, very different from what we're going to do on the consumer side here. Um, and so, so going back to Mike's point, right, it's about understanding the business, but like re- really understanding the business. It's, it's the difference between having kids and raising kids, I think, right? Like you can have kids, but it's different to raise them. And, and, and you have to be able to raise them and invest in, in, in that business that way. And once you know that, Anthony, now you can say, now you know what's at risk, right? That's, we need to protect this revenue because it's, you know, whatever percentage of our business is the high growth area, it's the whatever. By the way, those are all things on your annual report and umpteen financial disclosures as well as internal documents. So it's not like it isn't available. Um, But knowing that now gives you a connection to the business to say, okay, this is why what we're protecting. It's not just the deposits, the things in the safe you know, banks that are other than deposit box don't operate that way. But literally knowing that now you can have at least start of a credible discussion. It, it is. Now, I, I do think that there's a bit of a, um, of a gotcha that we've painted ourselves in as industry professionals. Mm-hmm. Okay. And here's, here's what the gotcha was, is that 20, 30 years ago, we actually had to prove or demonstrate that we were experts at everything before anybody took our credibility seriously. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we, we said, you know, we're going to do all these talks. We're going to talk about all these things. And so a lot of tech or security leaders back then were actually afraid to ask questions about the business because they would come across as like, well, you don't know what you're talking about. Your credibility is gone. You fast forward and we continue to exacerbate that behavior of people being like, ah, I'm, a, I'm an expert at tech. You do the business um, and I'm going to separate it. And it's, that's not the way that we can actually survive as, as an industry. Anymore. That's right. That's right, because everything is tech aware at this point. So, so Mitch, I want to capitalize on a little bit or, or highlight a, a little bit of the thing that you alluded to, but didn't necessarily say it specifically. And that's this idea. That's this idea of of credibility, right? And and you know, it, it really is built based upon doing what you say you're going to do in a way that folks understand. Mm-hmm. So again, just being general technical people, we tend not to want to get into sales. We tend not to want to do marketing. We can. And again, when you get to this point, you're on CISO talk, right? So this is a CISO level type thing. You are having to sell your agenda, right? You have to market your achievements from the standpoint of saying, this is what I accomplished for the business this year. Maybe it is into getting in the way of, of ransomware. Maybe it is responding to something before you had a big problem. Maybe it's, you know, kind of keeping systems up and running under constant attack, whatever it is, right? It's nice to talk about it around the dinner table and say, wow, look what a great person I am, but that doesn't help you in the boardroom, 
right? So you have to start, you know, kind of building up, but capitalizing and taking advantage of that credibility, because as, as you know, you, you guys like to say, right, you know, kind of good thing or bad things happen to good CISOs, right? You're going to need that credibility, right? You're yeah. going to need to have made deposits in the credibility bank, because at some point you're going to outstay, uh, you know, something's going to go south, right? And, and what you don't want is it to be deemed that you've outstayed your welcome, uh, and then you're you're welcome to go find another job at that point. <laughs> it's, 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 you're welcome it's, very it's, much. <laughs> well, let me just add this one last piece there, right? Like, it's almost like I always call it like the curse of the brilliant, right? I, I, I talk to a lot of, most of our customers are software service companies trying to sell the enterprise, right? And so I talked to some really, really great founders of some really cool technology companies. And a lot of them are like, yeah, but once they see it, they'll figure it out and then they'll understand it. And then they'll get the value of why they got to buy it. And I'm like, no, you you actually have to like simplify this down. You have to sell this, right? Um, and so a lot of times really smart people, smart technologists, they assume that other people are equally as smart and be like, oh, but once I show you the protocol, you'll totally get it. And then we're just off the race just kind of check. And you're like, that's not really how this 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 works, yeah, right? But you have to do that without you know talking down or or you know belittling or making people feel you know That's right. nobody especially Absolutely. in the boardroom likes to be feel like they're dumb so you have to you have to communicate simply and clearly but not condescending or at least people to Absolutely. Absolutely. and, That's and that is a skill That's that is a definite skill right well it, it sure is and, and let's talk a little bit about unicorns Right. Because what we're talking here is, and, and Anthony, to your point about having to, in order to feel like you contribute and, and feel, you know, you have to know everything about everything. Right. And, and in today's technical world, I mean, that it's hard for me to know anything about anything. Right. And this is what I do for a living. Yeah, right? I think so, Gardner so came out with like two new quadrants yesterday or something like that. Yeah, well, whatever so. it is. I mean, you know, it, 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 it's, it's very difficult to stay on top of all of these things. And it's also very difficult to understand and be so business centric and understand exactly the knobs of the business and all that. And you know what? It's okay to partner. Right. It's okay. Whether you're the top or they're the top or whatever it is, you know, you tend to, in some cases, sometimes you can find a unicorn, right? And maybe you become that unicorn where you're able to transition from really understanding the technology to really understanding the business. And that's fantastic, right? Those are the folks that make, you know, high six and seven figure deals now because, you, you know, they don't come along very often. In a lot of other cases, you got to partner up, right? So if you come from a technical background, you have to be able to find somebody that I call Mr. or Ms. Fix-It, right? And they're the folks that understand how to get things done in the organization. They have the relationships. They've been there for, you know, many years. And, and they know in a lot of cases where the proverbial bodies are buried, right? From the standpoint of being able to get things done in the organization. And in a lot of cases, especially if the security team is broken, after a, a, a big issue or something's just not working, they'll bring fix it in to actually run the team. And I'll tell you what, they don't know anything about security. They hardly know anything about business, about technology, but they're really good in the organization and they're fantastic business people. So they're going to be able to find and partner with those technical yeah experts very quickly because that's what they do whether they get airlifted into some far off land if you've got a, a, a factory that's you know kind of on on the rocks you got a broken security program this person comes in finds the people builds the program moves forward goes on to the next 
you, you know, assignment from that standpoint. And that's okay, right? A lot of technical people get very threatened when business folks come in and start talking business stuff. And, oh my God, you don't know anything. You, you know, it's like, hey, get over yourself, folks. Get over yourself, right? Because if you can't get things done in the business, you can't be successful. I want to swing the conversation in another direction. I think something that's also changed for us is it's not about being secure. It's implementing security that can be adopted and implemented. I mean, So Matt Newfield, uh, who's CISO with Unisys, my co-host, he always talks about, you know, you have to think about what is it going to take for people to be able to do what you're asking them to do or make it transparent so it's you know less for them to do but that's true whether it's a digital experience for a customer or you're asking employees to use you know two factor or something else now that they haven't used before whatever it might be but there's a human element of it we have kind of customers that we have our own uh, consumers of security that we have to think in that mindset too i think that's a new thought versus Hey, you know, it's tough. We just prescribe this as the policy and you got to follow it. Yeah, I, I think that the thing there is, is that, you know, um, in security, we're like, oh, if you do X, Y, Z, and then you dance one, two, three steps and then backwards, we're like, okay, we, we almost think we're, we're giving them technology and solutions that they're going to follow, even though it's really long. But at the end of the day, people who are working in the company, other parts of the company, even in your security team, they take the path of least resistance. They're like, hey, totally. I see this is here, but I can get my job done. And that's what I'm being measured on. And if I just go directly this path instead. So I'm just going to do this. And you have security leaders who are like, well, how come you didn't do this? I was much more sick. It's like, because you created something that was so painful. I'm now going to find another way to do it. Right. And if you like take away all my options, we're really creative. We'll find even you know more creative, crazy ways to do to 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 circumvent those things, and it's not because users are trying to circumvent security. Users are just trying to to achieve that outcome. What, what you know, whatever it is that their their job, role, mission, whatever it is they're trying to, to to get to. And security leaders often think like, well, they're just they're just dumb users. No, they're they're pretty savvy. Um, there's a ton of developers that work in financial services uh, or in, in in the finance teams and the accounting teams. Um, you're seeing more and more, you know, recent college grads that actually have more scripting capabilities than tech teams. And um, and if somebody doesn't think, for example, that Excel is a crazy powerful application, you've not actually seen a large organization um, because there's so much stuff that we try to like um, security controls. We try to apply, but you'll have somebody like, you know what? I don't need to do that database. I can just bang this out in Excel and then I'll just share this over. And then all of a sudden... Three months later, the business is running on this end user compute thing um, and security is scratching his head of like, why do we lose visibility and no one's using the database anymore? Well, this is a low code app. It's a low code platform, right? It is, right? Um, and so so I think that's an important piece. One thing I did want to really catch on, Mike, you made a really, really great point of um, security leaders almost comparing themselves to, to uh, security teams, comparing themselves to larger scale programs. It's, it's, we, you know, it's it's almost as if we're, we're comparing ourselves so often against the Michael Jordans. We're like, hey, and business leaders are like, hey, we need a security leader for our local team, our local business. But all I see in the media are the Michael Jordans who are just completely amazing, don't have a flaw. And that's what I'm expecting from in, like you have to know that you, you're going to have to if you're a business leader, you're going to have to coach them. And as a security leader or tech leader, you're going to have to be coached and be open to it. Um, it's the only way to be successful, unless you're Jordan, 
right? Then then rock on. But like so 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 many different threads to pull on on that one, Anthony. It's hard to it's hard to you know kind of know should I go this way, should I go that way? <laughs> um, so you, you know the the, the first thing I, I want to talk about, and again, when you spend a lot of your time with business people as opposed to, you know, kind of hardcore security professionals, which I've kind of gotten to a point in my career where that's what I'm doing, right? You start to learn a lot more about incentives. And and I think that's what you were, you know, really talking about, you know, both Mitch and, and Anthony about, you know, kind of the fact that you can't make it too hard for folks because they're not incented to do things in a secure way. They're incented to sell more. They're incented to deliver code. They're incented to, you know, reduce customer support calls, whatever it is, do things securely is probably not at the top of their MBOs, right? And that's what they get paid on. So you always default back to one of the most true statements I've ever heard, right? Which is, if you don't look out for number one, you step in number two. Right. And and that's actually a, a critical concept is that these folks are going to act in their best interests at all times. So, again, all wrapping back to the same place. If you don't understand what their best interests are, how are you going to persuade them to do these things? Right. If you don't understand about the role of incentives and and using proper incentives to get the behavior that you need, you really have no shot to do this job anymore. Right. So, again, a lot of it just gets back to it's not brain surgery more. It's not even Einsteinian knowledge to, to, you know, in terms of how security works. It's a lot more common sense. Right. It's a lot more business savvy. Right. It's persuasion. It's a lot of these softer skills that a lot of folks go and say, not interested. And that's okay. Just understand you're probably not going to be a very good CISO if you haven't, you know, spent a lot of time thinking about a lot of these softer skills and how you can and get that done. And that brings it around to another, you know, pretty important topic that Anthony, you were just talking about. And, and I'll call it the general management of expectations. Right. If you can't come into an organization and manage expectations, hey, I'm not Jordan. You're not funding me to be Jordan. We don't need to be Jordan. Right. Because of the attack surface that we're dealing with, because of the adversaries that we're facing, because of the type of data that we hold. You know what? Good enough is probably good enough. Right. And this is what we're willing to invest. And by the way, if you want to invest, you know, at at 2x, this is what we can do. Right. If we want to invest at 0.5x, this is what may happen, right? So you have to get good at managing those scenarios, communicating those scenarios and understanding that at the end of the day, it may make more sense for the business to invest in a new factory. Do we still make factories anymore? Whatever it is, or invest in a new system or whatever the analogy Building is. Building chip right. fabs now. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, building a fab, right? Um, then it is to, you know, kind of update and roll out a new IAM platform. And you know what? That's okay. But you have to be able to communicate, well, if we don't do that, these are the risks, right? And then you make a business decision. Yep. It, it really, I mean, it, it doesn't get a lot more complicated than that. And folks get so bent out of shape. I mean, I can't tell you how many people call and just bitch at me about, you know, oh, I couldn't get the funding for this. I couldn't get, well, guess what? Your business is struggling and you got to focus on, you know, kind of rebuilding, you know, the front end of this thing or else you don't get to play anymore. Right. So so a lot of that stuff is luxury. And, and Anthony, you were talking about that before. Yeah. I, and I, I would say one, one, one additional point on that. Right. Is like 
And if you look at where we're at now, just as a kind of a society with people having their quite literal pick of the litter of roles and jobs, if a security leader makes the life of the development pipeline too hard, you're going to have developers who are like, hey, I can actually make more money on a, on, on a, on a, on a platform kit code base process that I, that I understand. It's smoother, less friction. I'm not getting beat up. Someone's not yelling at me every day. So like we have, like it's, it's, it's this, in this ecosystem now of where you're going to have business leaders say, Hey, security, you've made this so painful. We've lost top developers. Mm-hmm. That's a whole different ball game here, right? Like, Outside of what's important. Right. It is like, and you you have to you have to strike that balance because we're not just protecting the corporate assets. Now we're protecting the corporate mission. We're protecting the revenue streams, employee satisfaction, how they work. I mean, if you look at most end of the year employee sat surveys, they include questions like, "Do you think that the technology you use enables you to do your business, do your work more effective?" And every time there's a no that tech team needs to really, really think about like, okay, why is that? What are we doing? Are we adding too much friction? Maybe it's enough friction, but once it gets into the too much, like it's, it's, it's a rough world here. Well, you, you, you bet. And- both brought up a, a really great topic, which is something that's in our world now is the world of software and creating software. We don't just get to build hard exteriors for soft interiors, right? You know, kind of protecting things from the outside. How much do CISOs have to think about Mike, you mentioned DevSecOps, but think about the whole software that we're building and is it secure? Are they just going to rely on the software teams to do that? How do we how do how do we look at it? How do we create a strategy where we're not going to be blindsided because you know something got in there, somebody wrote some vulnerable code, whatever it is? Yeah, I think it's the general acknowledgement that every company is a tech company. Every company has, you know, most, once you get to a certain size, right? Once you get to a certain size, you've got software, you've got developers that are dealing with that software. And part of the purview of a CISO is going to be that, you know, in effect, product security operational aspect. So you have to get good at assessing risk, right? You know, I'm going to, because it makes sense. I'm going to use a number of different components, right? That's this whole idea of microservices is the idea that I can compose these applications using open source libraries, using PaaS services, using a variety of different components, you know, cloud native capabilities uh, that make it easier and faster to build, develop, deploy um, a lot of these applications. And that means my risk is no longer just the stuff that happens within my world that I control, right? My risk actually is very much extended to all of these different places. And that's why, um, you get companies like sneak that are just killing it right now because they help you understand for all these components that you're using, what are the vulnerabilities? What are the risks? You you know, kind of what is it that I have to address? Um, and, and again, so, What we're really talking about here to kind of wrap it back around, Mitch, is that it used to be fairly discreet in terms of what this job was, Mm -hmm. right? It was was very much a keep the bad people out, right? Make sure my folks don't do too much stupid stuff and, and be able to clean up the mess once it spills. 
Well, that that's kind of a 2D type of problem. We're dealing on a bad day. It's probably five different dimensions, right? Because there's so much stuff that's outside of your control. You've got the ability, you've got developers and operations people and business teams that are actually weaponizing not weaponizing, right? But they're building tools that could be used as weapons, right? And <laughs> as, as a way to, to get at our data. So the job has also become much more complicated. And yes, we're talked about in the boardroom. Yes, we can usually get the funding for the stuff that we need if we can make up a, a proper business case for it. But yes, the job has gotten a lot more complicated. And for some people, they're like, this is awesome, right? I'm, I'm not just, you know, kind of sitting there trying to figure out how to optimize my firewall rules, right? I'm trying to figure out how to architect a successful and secure business operation moving forward. And, and for somebody like me, that's awesome, right? The harder the problem, the better. Um, a lot of other people are like, oh, I yearn for the days where it was like a, a, a rogue firewall rule knocked down a box and we had some outage and, and I was able to fix that in 10 minutes and be the hero. Sorry, we're not in that business anymore. You're such a romantic about <laughs> Hey, Anthony, so let's wrap up on this topic and if you feel free to jump in on the last one too. So one of the things that, that occurred to Matt Newfield our co-host is he like some other people went from CISO to some other title that I'm that incorporates both CISO and CIO or the CIOs are starting to report to CISOs. You know, be careful what you ask for. Like, like you said earlier, um, I mean, why is that happening? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? What do we th what do we think about that, Anthony? Uh, so this uh, this is definitely a topic that I get in trouble on. So let me just preface it with that. <laughs> okay, I didn't do that. I didn't ask you yeah, first. Uh, no, so that reason it's really great. He, he, um, I actually think that most CISOs are not mature enough to have and drive the conversation with the board. They just haven't um, had the full remit of the PNL. They aren't like they don't have the the full. Visibility and they, they've been locked in that microcosm of security so 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 hard. Um, where CIOs have had more time, number of years of exposure to the board, and they've been able to be groomed and grow um, to, to do that. So I think putting a, a, a CIO underneath a CISO actually will be a um, um, uh, a big challenge. In so much as that you, the business will suddenly say, "Hey, why are we not getting this business throughput?" The CISO now is responsible for delivering features faster and what's going to be the the priority for them features get it out the door and security becomes that second hat so i think that having a peer collaborative almost a challenge type of function is 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 one of the best situations um where you know having it the ciso over over the cio is um uh, is, is a bit more of a um a, a risk for the business of itself um now a cio over the ciso I think that can work if the CISO has that, you know, event, you know, to the chief risk officer or so, something like that. Um, again, I would say the same thing. Most CISOs, there are very few that I think are actually mature enough to to directly report to the CEO um, because they don't understand the business. They don't understand what they're really trying to drive value. And they think that they're, we're just trying to save the world and, and, and make it safe. Like that's, that's nice. After our, customers are, are, you know, after we have revenue, after we're growing, after we're doing these things, then we need to be secure. It's, it's like charity things for companies. It's a yeah. luxury. 
it, it it's interesting in that um, at least the the folks that I know that kind of came out of the security world and have become either CIO or, or more likely CTO, right? And and CTO is an interesting you know kind of title now because again we're not really building huge technology organizations anymore, right? We're trying to harness how technology can enable the business. So to me, that's more of a CTO type of, of role, uh, but whatever we call them, right? To me, it gets back to leadership. So I can look and, and Matt's not here. So I'll actually say a nice thing about him, which I would never do if he was actually on the, on Make the, sure he uh, the, the call. But exactly. Hopefully he won't listen. Um, but when you sit with Matt and you, and I've known Matt for a long, long time, um, you know, he's a leader. So it doesn't surprise me that he's kind of transcended the CISO type of role and is taking on more responsibilities. Sometimes it's physical security. Sometimes it's more technology operations. Sometimes it's CTO, CIO, you know, type of thing. But that has to do with being a leader as opposed to your general skills at doing security, right? As Anthony said, nobody gives a shit about that, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's just, yeah, it's important, but it's not going to move the needle of my business unless you're in the security business. But if you are a leader of people, right, and you can rally your team to achieve objectives over and over again, very consistently, there's a lot of room in in, in all organizations for people with that kind of skill set. And, and I think that's really, you know, kind of the decision as we as security professionals start to face down what our career paths need to look like, there's an infinite amount of opportunity on the technical side of the house. And I would also say there's a similarly infinite opportunity on kind of the leadership side of the house too, but you kind of have to choose. It's re- Unless you're a unicorn, right? It's really difficult to be really good at both. Let me try to couch it this way. And, and I think this is a really um, would be a fun exercise to do with a lot of CEOs actually. If you said, hey, CEO of any any large company, medium-sized company, you can have, on the one hand, 0% growth and 100% security, or 5% growth and a 5% risk that you're going to get breached. Most CEOs are going to say, we got to grow the company. Like they're like- Most? Uh, uh, there, there might be somebody out there who's like, oh, you know, I'm just going to run the run it, right? I'm, I'm just trying to play <laughs> optimistic, I guess. But like, like the bit now, most the false dichotomy. Like, I'm sorry, but go ahead. No, go ahead. Right, most I, no, I understand your say, point. Hey, lock it down. We don't need any new customers. We're going to be 100 safe, and every business leader is going to be like, that's your I last meeting with so. the CEO, by the way. Yeah, yeah that's it. That's exactly <laughs> it, right? Because they don't get what business they're in. They're not in the business of security. They're in the business of finance, healthcare, like insurance, whatever that is. Um, and so that when you look at it from that trade-off, put it on a scale, those those business leaders are like, listen, 20 years ago, I I, I, I cashed in my 401k, started this business. I was at 100% risk. I'll take a 10% risk to grow the business at 20%, like whatever that is. Um, and security- they, they, they don't have a choice, right? They're there to, in a lot of cases, grow. Unless, I mean, I, I can't think of one situation where somebody would, you know, kind of say, I, you know, and, and it all gets back to managing risk, right? It gets back to leading people. It gets back to understanding what business you're in. And it gets back to appreciating the technical disruption that every organization is undergoing right now. Mm-hmm. And if you can't be a partner with 
the folks that are driving that transformation, if you can't help them understand, you know, kind of what is going to happen to corporate data based upon some of these decisions in a way that they understand relative to the business. And if you can't lead a team that's going to be asked to do a lot of really difficult things in not a lot of time, usually when all hell is breaking loose all over the place, it's not the right job, right? And that's okay. It really is. What's not okay is to fool yourself and spend a whole mess of time in a situation that's going to make you unhappy and you're not going to be very good at, right? Because that gets back to the wasted time thing, right? Yeah. And and I don't know, you know, you get to a certain age, right? I mentioned Anthony's young guy, but he, you know, you get to a certain age where you're like, you know, time actually is really important. You and a lot of the time that you spend doing a job that you hate, it's it's totally wasted time. Well, I think I think I think a point spot on. I mean, if you've been a CIO, you know that is not an easy job either. And the shelf life, the life longevity of CIOs isn't that great anyway. So be careful about doing that. I'd boy, I'd really make sure I was setting myself up for success and not just the next CIO to get fired. So, <laughs> but I think it's a really good advice. You know, guys, it's been a blast. It's been fun. Um, I wish we could share a digital beer right now, but <laughs> we will do that when we see each other, hopefully at RSA or some somewhere soon. Uh, Anthony, appreciate um, appreciate you joining us today. Any parting thought? Any any words of wisdom to leave us with? No, um, I think the last thing I would, I would say is that um, while you know it, it's super tough, if if people are open to getting the right coaching, the right mentoring, like having those open conversations, willing to learn. They can grow to what their company, mostly, I believe that most people can grow to what their company needs. Not this, you're not going to be Jordan. Just set that aside. But you can be what your company needs to be successful. And you'll get a lot of satisfaction and joy of, of that personally. And you can grow people in the same way. Um, so I think that there's 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 a light. You just have to kind of be willing to, to, to learn. Mike, Yogi Berra of security with your great sayings. <laughs> My great analogies. Um, just go into it with your eyes open, right? And, and, and understand what you're being asked to do. And, and if that isn't in alignment with who you want to be, what you want to do, how you want to spend your days, don't wait until you fail at a job in order to call that out. Right. And, and that's just about being honest with yourself and, 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 and really, you know, just having that difficult internal dialogue to say, this is what I enjoy doing every day and do that. Right. Don't make it over. Don't overcomplicate it. Right. If you don't like what you're doing, do something else. Because, again, all we have is time. And, and when you squander that time, it's gone. You don't get it back. Mike Rothman and Anthony Johnson, thank you again so much. And thank you to our audience for joining us today. We'll check out another episode of CISO Talk. They're available online to uh, for replay and join us for one of our live roundtables. We have some great stuff coming up. So Mitch Ashley signing off. And on behalf of my co-host, Matt Newfield, we hope you have a great day. Be safe, be secure. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.